What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. Thank you for joining on this wonderful Monday. I hope you all had a great weekend because you know what? I am editing this late on Sunday night. I just got back. Oh gosh, it's been a couple hours now. I took a, took a little power nap so that I could get, get my words out right. But I uh, got back from backpacking this weekend and I am coming to the tail end of what has been a magnificently busy but awesome July. I had my dirty 30 last week, which really meant uh, I just had steaks with my family, didn't do anything wild and crazy. But you know, this past month has been remarkable. Um, For those of you joining the show, maybe for the first time, um, my intent with this is a growth through story, strength through community. So by doing that, or or the way that I go about doing that is uh, sitting down with folks to have them share their stories, to help you uh, kind of educate you on how they got to where they're at, some of the life life lessons that they've learned, how they got to where they're at, what they're doing, and uh, hopefully giving you some insight to either get excuse me, plugged in, uh, with a new community, find a new community, um, charge forward with whatever, with through whatever it is that you're struggling with. See, I didn't take long enough of a nap because I can't get my words out. But with all of that being said, my goal here really is just to help you find a new community, new motivation, um, or just a path forward, or maybe even finding a, a profession or a hobby that you didn't know existed because it's a big world. And since I have started this a little over a year ago, I have learned so freaking much just about the the breadth and scope of things that you can do with your spare time and making time to do those things. So, um, kind of dovetailing a little bit into uh, into kind of my goal with this podcast and kind of how it plays into really how how awesome and fortunate I feel my July has been. Um, two weeks ago, I think it's now two weeks ago. Yep, um, I uh, went to the Everly Stock Out There event. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Everly Stock is a, is a manufacturer and a sponsor of the show. They manufacture um, kind of your, your high, super high quality, honestly, technical and hunting apparel and technical packs, including your hunting packs. So really what, what kind of their market more or less is are folks that are going to be doing outdoor EDC um, hunting or law enforcement related or military application products. So um, they have this event every year where they invite folks out, uh, kind of names in the industry or people like me that just are really right place, right time, honestly. In in all honesty, I just feel very fortunate to have gone. Um, But they invite folks out to really do some networking, some shooting, more or less like summer camp with guns and different trainings, right? So, you know, we had Tear from Black Rifle come in and teach a a first aid class with some tourniquets because we were doing some live fire drills. Um, Josh Smith from Montana Knife Company was doing some lessons on uh, knife making. And then you had True doing some... uh, uh, pistol courses. And then we had Maddie from Seekins out there doing, um, carbine and long range with, um, the folks from hat Creek. So really it's just kind of bringing together a bunch of folks really just to, to kind of combine minds in the industry and get to know one another. And for me, it was a really, really surreal experience because I had gone two years ago, three years ago. And, you know, I was just a kid that knew how to shoot guns and I wasn't great at it then. Right. And so now it was fun because I have grown up and grown into, kind of the mind of these folks a little bit more having interviewed a handful of them. And it was really neat because you're able to really sit down and understand just the breadth and the scope and just how amazing these folks are in the industry. But what I'm getting at through that is one of the things that I have found really neat through all of this is, is the willingness to learn. 
And I had met, uh, so Creighton of, of Scout Arms. Um, he and I have chatted a little bit over Instagram and uh, connected. I actually got to shake his hand and everything on uh, when we were at out there. And he taught me to fly fish, you know, and it was, it was like a very short kind of down and dirty. Here's how everything kind of functions. And I'm still so far from perfect. It's even, it's not even funny, right? I mean, this is something you master over a lifetime. And, uh, you know, he got me on fish within a day and it was just the coolest damn thing I think I've ever done. You know, I hadn't caught a fish in probably 15 years. And I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. And so it was just a really neat experience because the following weekend, um, I actually was up in his neck of the woods in Montana and I uh, got to go hang out with him and his family. Uh, they kind of showed me around a little bit or uh, kind of talked me around a little bit, kind of the Clyde, Clyde Park area and have food with him, dinner with him, a couple of beers and stuff. It was just, it was a really neat experience. But what I want to uh, kind of express out of all of this, right, is by showing genuine interest and willingness to learn and take what people are offering you to heart, it's going to get, it's going to open up some just insane opportunities. And that's something that I'm really kind of learning and, and feeling as this time goes on, you know, as this podcast continues and nearing episode a hundred. And uh, I do intend actually on kind of writing out and talking through a lot of these things that I've learned, felt and experienced in a way that again, hopefully builds and draws you towards this community. So, um, all that to say, you know, this is definitely a lot longer of an intro than I normally give. Um, but it's been on my mind, kind of just wanted to share how, uh, how important this is becoming to me, you know, as far as learning community, relying on people, asking for help, right? Understanding that there's a difference between, you know, being tough and being proud versus asking for help and seeking growth, right? There's this genuine difference between those two, and it is not always easy to tell. But I'm going to digress from all that. We'll save that for episode 100. Today's episode is with Nikki, and Nikki is a badass. Honestly, it was a, it was a lot of fun sitting down I think we chat for an hour, hour and a half. It's been probably a week or so now since we sat down and you know, she just has a lot of really good information to offer as far as kind of pushing forward and becoming part of the crew and taking those next steps and understanding, you know, really how to continue pushing forward and excel in a very high paced, high stress world. So I'm very excited to share her story. I'm going to stop rambling. Um, but as we kind of part ways into, uh, into the uh, the episode. Today's episode is indeed brought to you by Everly Stock, and I am very proud to say that because the group of folks over there does produce some very high quality gear. Um, I used all of it all weekend, this weekend backpacking. I used the Salmon River pants for two or three days straight. I used, I think it was two, two days straight. I had my mainframe with my, uh, my uh, Vapor 5000 pack on it so that I could keep all my gear in it. And I, despite having a little bit of short, sore shoulders, um, Everything was kosher. It was great. So I would encourage you to give them a call, uh, talk to Tuck, get set up with some smoking deals. Um, but otherwise, let's roll an awesome episode with Ms. Nikki Silva. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. My name is Austin Jardine, and I'm excited because today's episode is with Ms. Nikki Selby. And you and I connected uh, a couple of days ago on the phone. We chat for a little bit, and I'm excited because I think you've done a lot of fun things that'll be really fun to kind of dive into and share. 
hopefully get some folks excited um, about some stuff. Maybe talk about some long range shooting and some of the cool stuff that you've been doing there with uh, Chris and a couple others and uh, getting some, maybe get some ladies excited about it too, among God knows what else we're going to get into, but I don't want to steal your intro. If you don't mind kind of sharing a little bit about yourself and I will take notes as we go and badger you along the way. That's that works for you. Sounds good. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm Nikki and I don't know. I, I think my introduction is I am a 45 year old woman going through a midlife crisis. So this is what <laughs> you see. If you do follow me on Instagram is all my craziness that's going on in my life. But I started out my adulthood in the military right after I graduated high school, joined the Navy because I didn't have a whole lot other direction. So joined the Navy thinking I would get the GI Bill for college and that'll give me time to figure out what I wanted to do with my life um, for those five years that I enlisted. And the five years turned into almost 24 years. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> So did 24 years in the Navy, 10 of them were enlisted and then did a commissioning program and then commissioned and did another 13 and a half as a nurse. The enlisted part was as a corpsman, search and rescue corpsman, um, went through rescue swimmer school as a rescue swimmer instructor. And then as a nurse did everything from critical care, ER, flight nursing, uh, spent a lot of time with the Marines. And then I retired in 2019 and have just been doing a bunch of different things and just trying to enjoy my life and do all the, the hobbies that I thought about while I was in, but couldn't really get to, and, um, may have piled it all on my plate at the same time. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of overwhelmed myself. Um, the transition period from military to civilian life, that was a little difficult, but I'm just now kind of feeling like I'm getting into my groove of being a civilian. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm doing my best to take notes and kind of the, uh, the kind of the general flow, I guess you could say is take notes and I often refer back and kind of bounce back to wherever. Right. And, uh, kind of like what we talked about only as personal as woman, as you want to make it. I know that, uh, we can change subjects real quick. No easy, no harm, no foul. Right. But what, when you enlisted in the Navy and decided to go the Navy route, first of all, why the Navy? And I mean, having no direction at that time, what did you think that you wanted to get out of the military? Oh, well, I joined because I, my whole plan in high school was I played a lot of tennis since I was pretty much started to walk. My parents had me doing tennis and I kind of thought that was the direction I was going to go into after high school, at least try to get some kind of a college scholarship or something out of it. Um, kind of screwed up my last couple years of high school, <laughs> got kicked off the tennis team because of my grades. And, um, that sort of left me in a position of, Hmm, where do I go next? And my dad and I, you know, have a great relationship with my parents, but he was kind of like, you know, you're kind of on your own. Cause he, he did what he, you know, did as far as like get me all the lessons and tournaments that I played for tennis. And, you know, I think he felt kind of like, I set you up and you sort of screw that up, which is, is fine. And that's good. I think there needs to be more parenting like that, but it did leave me in a spot where I was a little lost and like, what do I do? My brother kind of took the same route three years earlier and he joined the Navy. So I was like, well, let me, let me see the, the military option. Um, 
I actually intended to go to the Air Force because that's what my, my dad retired as an Air Force officer. And so I was like, well, let me see the Air Force. And I walked into the recruiting station and it had all four services there. And I went over to the Air Force office and the guy was very like, just, you know, I'm going to lunch. I don't have time to talk to you. And I was just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I was like, that's, you know, not really the, what I was looking for. I thought it would be a lot more welcoming. And so as I left that office, I passed the Marine Corps office and he was kind of like, Hey, come on in. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I want to go that direction <laughs> <laughs> because I really wasn't. Yeah. I played tennis all my life, but I wasn't this like fitness stud or anything. And I knew like that would have been really difficult. Um, walked by the Navy office and they were very welcoming, you know, come on in, let's talk. And the fact that my brother had gone to the same service, I was like, you know what, let me, let me check this out and see how this goes. And so that's how that all went. And we talked about the GI bill. And so I was like, well, you know, I, I was sort of interested in the medical stuff and I was like, well, if I can do all that and, you know, figure that out, then, um, that'll give me time to, to maybe, you know, if nursing is an option or whatever, you know, I'll have five years to see what I want to do and then have the GI bill to, to go to college. So that's kind of how that happened. It was just sort of stumbled upon. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So then stumbling into it, then the, uh, I guess the guiding factor I'm hearing then is really just the sense of direction and finding a long-term way to get into college. Yes. So I never, my intention was never to be, you know, make it a career. Mm -hmm. I just, I wanted a means to get to college, um, which I, you know, in retrospect, I was like, it was kind of good. I didn't go right into college because I just don't think I was ready academically to go from high school to that. Cause I just, I wasn't the best student. I didn't like to study or anything. So, um, it was good. And I think everyone should have sort of that, like, I don't know, cool down period, I guess, after high school to to really figure out what they want to do. What I don't like about colleges these days is they make you declare a major right away. And it's like, kids don't, they're 18 years old. They don't know what the heck they want to do. You know, they might have an idea, but that was the whole point of universities was that first couple of years is to sort of, you know, get some classes out of the way that you would need for every degree and then figure out along the way, those, those first couple of years, what you wanted to do, what your interest was. And so nowadays it's like, you know, I have an older daughter who, who did that and she declared or she went to psychology, which I was like, you're not going to like, because I, I, I know her. I was like, you're not going to like this. And sure enough, she ended up not finishing because she just wasn't interested in it. And it's like, I don't know why they do that. Um, but back to my story, um, I think everyone should have like a couple of years to sort of, you know, kind of decompress from the 12 years of schooling they just had and try to figure out what they want to do with their life before they they dive into college. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's interesting that for you that that decompression period was the military, because, you know, I'm aware of what corpsmen do, not familiar, right, if that makes sense. And to me, it seems like you're going from one extreme, you know, 12 years of schooling into another academic heavy area, right? So I guess, why, why that rather than I don't even know what else. I mean, that seems like, um, I guess I didn't look at it as, Oh, this will be another academic period. I just looked at it as like more of an adventure. And the biggest part was you have a roof over your head you have a paycheck coming to you and you have food on the table. So that's what I was looking at is that, okay, it's, I'm being supported, um, you know, being able to live and be on my own while I'm gaining a trade, um, which by the way, kids don't, don't, don't 
eliminate trade schools as, you know, I, I think this day and age, it's a great way to go. Um, and that's kind of how I looked at the military. It's going to give me some kind of a skill, whether or not I like it or not, I am going to learn a skill that I'm going to put to practice. So it, it wasn't to me, it wasn't like sitting in a classroom for four years and like learning whatever I was actually going to, yes, I was going to learn something, but I was going to put it to practice right away. So I kind of, I like that while, you know, I was able to live on my own, move away from my family, just kind of get out of the, you know, the roof of my parents and just find some direction on my own. Um, while gaining a skill, you know, that, that I could probably put to use after the military and still, you know, get that college money if that's the direction I wanted to go in. So sure, I, sure. I, I look at it as like a win-win situation. So, yeah. I like the, the idea of thinking about it as an adventure, right. And, and being able to learn kind of something that's applicable. It's so funny to me because like, I can relate, right. Where it's like, Hey, going and sitting in a classroom or a lecture, you're like, this sucks. But then rather than when you go sit down, you're like, I'm going to use this tomorrow because it will solve a problem. You're like, right. this is way more exciting. Right. So I can totally understand that. So what about then the, the medical field excited you? I mean, did you have any experience with it? Did you fall into it or was it just kind of a feeling? I don't, it was sort of, so this is actually what's funny. It was, a. I intended, I wanted to go to core school. That's, I don't even know how I really knew about it, but for whatever reason I had medical on the mind that wasn't an option when I, when I, um, signed up for the Navy, those spots were filled. So then I ended up picking, uh, it was AW rescue swimmer for an option went to boot camp. So rescue swimmer, that is it. Most people don't know about it, but it's a very difficult school. And again, I wasn't this big PT stud. So when I was in boot camp, you actually had to pass their in test in boot camp before they would let you move on. I failed the push-up portion. <laughs> I could swim, I could do the run, I could do the setups, but the push-up, I just didn't have the upper body strength, so I actually failed, um, which meant I had to reclassify. So I was really upset about this because once I, I had my mindset, I was disappointed first that I didn't get course full right away. Then when I learned about the aviation stuff, I was like, "Oh wow, helicopters—that's really cool." Never been on a helicopter, but I just like that's really cool. That sounds fun. Failed that in boot camp. Was devastated had to reclassify at that time, core school opened up. So it was a long <laughs> route to get into core school, which I was like, okay, well, that's cool. So, you know, got core school, um, went on to core school after boot camp, And then after, so I was a general corpsman with the college general corpsman, my first duty station, which I was at a clinic in Whitingfield, Florida, um, just doing normal, like, basic stuff. So doing, you know, vital signs, um, helping doctors at, at the bedside, that type of thing, nothing really exciting. And I kind of was like, eh, this is sort of boring. And then I learned about SAR Corman, which I didn't even really, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, this was 97 at this point. I joined in 95, 97 rolls around. I learned about SAR Corman and I was like, wait a second, Corman can fly. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I can go back. So now I can go back into helicopters because I was really disappointed that I didn't, you know, I missed out on that opportunity, then learned about this. And I was, I went to my career counselor and I said, Hey, do you know about this, the star Corman thing? And she was like, well, yeah, but females don't do it or can't do it, which I was, you know, I kind of thought, well, it's, it's not a combat role. It's a search and rescue role. So why can't females do it? And she was like, well, there are no females in it. And I said, well, that's different than if a, you know, 
no females doing it versus females can't do it. That's two different things. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, no joke. Yeah. And so this is where I always tell people when I'm like doing the mentoring thing is don't take no for an answer. Because if I, she was, you know, a superior uh, petty officer, she's an E6. I was an E, just barely an E4 at the time. I could have listened to what she said, because this was her career. You know, this is what she was supposed to be good at. Um, and just gone on my way, found something different to do. And my whole trajectory of life would be different. But I challenged her and I said, well, can you look at the instruction and show me where it says that females can't do this? And she was kind of like, like, you're questioning me. (laughs) She's like, all right. And so she goes back, looks at the instruction. She comes back to me and she says, well, it doesn't say you can't do it, but so I guess you can go ahead and apply for it. So went ahead and applied, got accepted and realized very quickly why there weren't any (laughs) in the field because it was very physically demanding. Um, and again, me not being this like big, you know, PT said I, it was a rough beginning, but I am the type of person where I will die before I quit. So, uh, made it through it and it's been probably one of the best accomplishments of my life to this day. Uh, and it was, it was a great time. Um, flew in Huey's. I was a Huey crewman, did mountain rescue, um, which is another funny story because when I first, so when I learned about SAR Corman, I learned about the stations that were the water rescue stations, which meant that the, at those stations, the rescue swimmer who is not a Corman would go down for the patient down in the water. The Corman would stay in the helicopter, the rescue swimmer would bring up the patient and then you do your thing on the helicopter. So I was like, okay, I stay in the helicopter, fly, fun, whatever. I was definitely scared of heights at this time. Um, pick a mountain rescue station, which was in China Lake, California. And I get there and my senior corpsman was like, okay, I got to send you to repel school. And I was like, <laughs> why would I go to repel school? <laughs> like, so you can go down and get the patient. And I was like, no, 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 no. The crewman gets the patients. We didn't, we stay in the helicopter. And he was like, nope, not over land. We go down. And I was just like, okay, nobody told me about this. Part. <laughs> and so I was like, no, I, I don't do that. And he was just like, well, then you're not doing this job. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to repel school. <laughs> so that was, you know, like my second big adventure was going to repel school. Um, I had to go to Pendleton for that. And I remember the first time down the tower, I was shaking the entire tower with my legs because I was terrified. But once I finally did it, I was like, oh, this wasn't that bad. And then, you know, got through doing the helicopter stuff and then actually love rappelling at this point. Um, so got through all of that and finally qualified and which wasn't easy because I had, you know, being the only female in this community, it was a very tight knit bro community. Um, there, it, I found that they either really liked me or they really hated me. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of in between. And so I had two senior corpsmen. One wasn't a big fan of me. The other one was, you know, took me in, thank God. And um, to this day, we're, you know, we're still good friends. But the one who wasn't, you know, crazy about me being there kind of made it pretty rough to qualify. (laughs) My check ride was pretty difficult, but, you know, wanted to prove myself. And, And this is where I say, you know, you can talk all you want and say how unfair it is, but you really got to just put your head down and work and prove that you belong there. So, yeah. um, and I, I had to work, I had to work on my physical strength and, and do all that to, to prove that I was there because at the end of the day, the patient doesn't care what gender you are. They care if you can pull them and rescue them and, and, you know, be able to lift them and do all the stuff that's necessary to get them to safety. So, um, yeah. you have to realize that like that has nothing to do with 
your gender has nothing to do with whatever. And a lot of males don't have the strength either. So like you just have to, it's, it's about your job and what you're trying to accomplish. And if you can't physically do that, then you don't belong there. So it's about capability than anything. Right. Okay. So standards should not be lowered because you can't do your, if you can't do the job, you know, again, there's a, the end game is getting that person to help. Right. So if you can't physically do that, then, you know, it has nothing to do with being fair or not fair or whatever. So yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So I'm taking notes and I've got a couple (laughs) questions because there's a lot, there's a lot of really good things there. Right. So I want (laughs) to, well, yeah. And it's, it's funny because like, you know, I I've talked to one or two other folks that are, have lived in the search and rescue world and it's so much fun. Right. Like, I think what you guys do is just like, if I would have done things differently, like that would have been like a hoot to go do. Right. But kind of going back. So when you first started kind of going down the search and rescue route for the SAR Corpsman, right. Um, you said, don't take no for an answer, right. And kind of more or less challenging a superior officer, right. Or a superior individual. How did you, I guess, I'm not exactly sure how, or what I'm trying to ask, but like, how did you kind of define or, or get the courage to do that and do that tactfully in a way that you were able to move forward? Um, it's interesting because I wasn't, you know, in my earlier years, I wasn't a real assertive person. And I usually take, you know, her saying that to me, my normal response would have been like, oh, okay, I'll go find something to do. I don't know really what in me <laughs> brought out, you know, I think what it was, was when I discovered this SAR Corman job, it was another, uh, it was a friend of mine. He was a SAR Corman at this, at Pensacola and, he never mentioned that I couldn't do it. So when I saw him out and talked about it, you know, when she said women can't do it, I was like, well, why wouldn't he tell me that? Why would he tell me about this job if I can't actually do it? And so it kind of brought me to the conclusion that she probably didn't know. And so that's why I, you know, when I talked and it wasn't, you know, I wasn't bitchy about it and wasn't like, oh, you know, you don't know what you're doing. I just said, Hey, is it okay if you just, can I just see that in writing? Mm-hmm. I just, you know, because, and I think I probably, it, this was a long time ago, but I'm, I'm sure I brought up, you know, well, I, you know, talked to this person and they didn't mention that. So can we just see that in writing that it does say that you can't, because at the time in the nineties where females were excluded was combat roles. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't a combat role. So I don't understand why females can't do this. So it was just more of a, I'm a very, if it doesn't make sense to me, I need to know why. Like I, I need to find the answers and that's, that's across the board with everything. It's like, it has to make sense to me. It has to be logical. And that just wasn't logical to me. So, um, I mean, yeah, just, and, that, and that's where I tell people that cause people have a lot to say and they, and they think they know things. That's why I always say, look at the instruction, you know, see it in writing <laughs> that it actually says what they're, you know, the person, the individual saying. So, cause a lot of times you'll find that people, even who are supposed to be the experts don't really know what they're talking about. So. Yeah, we're all just faking it, trying to make it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Um, all right. So the next thing I've got is, um, or at least that I've got starred is the, uh, die before you quit. Right yeah. now. Is that, is that something that you've developed over time or have you always been like, ultra competitive and I mean, no holds barred. I, I would say that has been in me, um, probably most of my life, but it's really come out as I've gotten older and I don't, 
I don't know why. And I think maybe it's because so I put myself in so many positions where I've had to prove myself. Um, and I don't, I don't like to be proven wrong. So when I put my head or put my mind to something, I, I just want to follow through with it and I you know, I'll die trying to, to figure it out. And so, um, I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know where it, it came from. Cause I never, if I look back in my childhood, I don't, I don't think of myself as this ultra competitive person. Um, but now, and if you talk to people who know me, they would say, yeah, she's definitely very competitive. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> a little intense. Yeah. But I would say that I, I would like to say, I know my limitations. So I'm not compared, like, I wouldn't go out and be like, oh, I can lift 400 pounds because I know that's, there's no chance in hell. So if I, if I feel like it's within my reach and I can do it and that's, that's what I felt with like the SAR stuff or whatever, I, if I work at it, I can do it. Um, that's when I'm competitive, but I, you know, I'm, I'm realistic about it, I think too. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So in that same kind of vein of proving yourself and kind of the, the scope of what you believe that you're capable of mm -hmm. something I know you and I talked about a little bit on the phone is you, you live more or less in a pretty male dominated world and having to prove yourself being a woman in that, right. You said you had, you know, two senior corpsmen that one was good. One made it a little bit of a living hell. I mean, being a female in this type of role, what were the things that helped you become successful that you wish you might've known or would like to encourage other females to be aware of? Um, what I would like to say is that, you know, how do I say this tactfully? <laughs> because, yeah, um, it's a hard I, question. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, I, I look around and a lot of the generations or the generation now, um, I'm 45. So I'm talking about like, you know, people in their twenties and thirties, I feel like, and I could be wrong, but I feel like there's a lot of talk, you know, and there's a lot of like, you know, it's not fair or whatever. So my advice is always, you know, talk is nothing to me. It's all about the action, right? So if you want something, you got to put your freaking head down and you have to work at it. <laughs> Talking and saying, it's not fair. That's not going to do anything. And I almost feel like it takes women back, you know, years of like, you've got all these women who have really like pushed forward, I think with being accepted in these male dominated, dominated communities. Um, and a lot of them do it in silence you know, you do have, you have a lot of women who are doing great things and they are, you know, blazing trails everywhere and they do it in silence, which it would be nice for a lot of them maybe to speak out a little bit more about how they're, they're got there and how they're doing it. But sometimes their job doesn't really like, they can't talk about it right now. Um, versus, you know, talking about how unfair it is. And I, I should just be accepted because it's, you know, it's 2022 and I'm a female and whatever else, like that's, that's going to get you nowhere. And I found that now it seems like male are even less accepting towards women than before, which is kind of weird to say in 2022, but nowadays, like, and, and I'm talking about male dominated communities. Now it's like, if you, a female comes in, they're like, it's almost like they don't even know how to, to interact with a female anymore because they're scared, right? I can't look at her wrong or she interprets me looking at her wrong or saying something wrong or I offend somebody like their career is on the line and sometimes their life is on the line if they get accused of something that's misinterpreted, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and not to say that doesn't happen, but it's just, it's gotten to this extreme 
where I've, I've noticed myself, you know, if I'm in a room with all males, like they don't really know how to talk to me until I say like, and I'll usually open it up with, I'm probably the most offensive person in the room right now. So like, <laughs> please don't hold back of what you want to say or how you you've talked or whatever else. Um, for instance, like this new job that I have is, is very male dominated. I am the only female in this particular division. And I was added to a chat group and, and someone made the comment, they're being funny, but they're like, oh, everybody be on their best behavior now. And I was like, this sucks, you know, because I know that's actually, yeah, he's joking, but that's kind of the mentality of men these days. When a woman enters the room is like, oh shit, we got to like, we can't have our normal locker talk because she might be offended. And it's like, you know, there's a point where it's like, if you want to be accepted in some of these communities, you got to accept how men kind of talk to each other, I guess, you know, and I'm not saying if they are, are vicious towards you and, you know, they are like super offensive and whatever, but I'm just saying you got to understand how males talk when they're <laughs> alone together. It's a little vulgar and it's a little whatever, but that's just that this is the way it is. Right. Um, it's not offense. It's not towards you. And I think some females take it like they hear something or they hear two men talking to each other. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe they said that, you know, and then it's an offensive thing towards them. And it, it's just a whole mess. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to say this. Delicately, no, yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm tracking with you. And I think my next kind of question is in that is because it's true. And it's interesting because like, I feel like it's a fine line between standard, easy, you know, funny, vulgar, inappropriate locker room talk and yeah. walking a line between disrespect almost, you know? So I feel like it can be depend depending. Yeah. And that's yeah. again, like this, this is a very gray area because like, right. you know, for you, you might not give a flying fuck, but like for me, it might be a comfort level thing. Right? right. So my, my, I think my next question to you would be, how do you approach going into those rooms to help create that sense of community between you, the female and the other males, or you and other females with the males. Does that question? Yeah. Drive? Um, I, I really am just kind of myself mm -hmm. and I am sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm part guy, but like I, I've grown up around men so much that I do have that kind of, when I say I'm probably the most offensive person in the room, like that's a true statement because I, you know, I use the F word like a comma and I, uh, you know, I think Same. certain folks are really funny that most people wouldn't think. Are <laughs> um, and you know, if women were honest, if you listen to women talk amongst themselves, they're pretty freaking vulgar. So like, you know, to, to suddenly like shift over because you're, you got males in the room and say, Oh, I can't believe they said that. Like, come on, like, you, you know, and I'm a nurse too. So if you ever go into a room with nurses, like we, we're pretty like, offensive i guess yeah yeah you see some of it, it's just it's, it's our um i don't know i guess defense mechanism a little bit you know with what we see every single day so we do have a very dry sense of humor vulgar sense of humor um i remember the first day as a nursing student i was in the er and i was we were coding somebody and the guy was a little overweight and he had um had a heart attack on the treadmill and they brought him in you know CPR in progress. And then when they brought him into the ER, I took over CPR and one of the nurses who had been doing it a while, she was, she made a comment. She was like, don't you think it was a little late for that or something? I don't know. I was just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, like this is someone's dad, you know, or grandfather. I don't know. It was just like interesting comment. Um, but yeah, it was just, 
And I know like, again, most people would be like, I can't believe you said that, but it's, you understand, you almost have to detach that, the human from the person to, yep. to get, to do that every single day. So long story short is that I think, you know, if you ever are in a room full of nurses, especially a bunch of female nurses, like the talk isn't very, you know, it's not kosher. So. Socially acceptable. <laughs> yeah, it's not. So um, some, some would say we're worse than men at times. So yeah. Um, that's where I'm like, that. you know, you can't have that double standard. Like you're it's, I think a lot of women can take it. I just, I think it's gotten to an extreme and, and I do think some women use it to their advantage. You know, if they're not getting what they want, they'll, they'll pull out some of these things. Like, you know, it's, I don't want to say like a blackmail thing, but like, it's, it's almost like, a, Oh, I'll use this to my advantage type of thing. And it's, that's just not cool. And, okay, and that, okay. that type of person is setting us back as women. I just think years, because you do get to a point where women, men just don't want us around, you know? So, and it sucks, but it's, you know, it's a delicate line. And yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to like, what's, you know, how to walk that line, but I, how I handle it, I'm just me. And I, I seem to be accepted in, in these communities. Cause I, I genuinely am, you know, I, I do like those jokes and the vulgarness doesn't offend me at all. So, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So then maybe just to summarize from what I heard in your experience <laughs> then, yeah. and, and this is, this is how this is so funny. This is a skill that I've learned is in order to like, understand, I have to repeat back, yes. but kind of what I feel like I heard then in your experience, it's, Hey, understand that to be part of the group, you need to join the group, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have a little bit of thick skin. And assuming, well, not assuming when it is not directed at you roll with the punches. Yes. And I don't want to say, no, that's not how I want to say it, but yeah. Yeah. I think that kind of, that's, that's kind of how I heard it in a Mm -hmm. nutshell. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty much what it is. Is that for the most part, when men are, you know, they're talking, it's, it's usually not directed at females. It's, it's just, it truly is like they're locker room talk or whatever you want to call it. Um, and for a lot of times with these men, it's, that's their defense mechanism, right? So they're letting out these jokes and they're letting out these, especially the communities that I've been around military, whatever else, like that's their way of letting off the stress. So you add a female to it that gets offended easily. And now they're even more stressed because they don't even know how to, you know, this is what their place of peace. And now it's not peaceful anymore because now you have this, this person that could be offended by what they're using to just sort of like release some of their process. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you have to just, you have to know the difference. You can't walk into an all male room and just get offended easily by, you know, how they're talking or whatever. So, um, I don't know, it's a, it is a delicate topic, but you know, I, again, I, I would say the majority of people are not trying to offend, you know, the woman in the room. <laughs> That's just not, you know, how it is. You have your outliers who are, you know, more aggressive, I guess, and maybe are trying to get something out of the female. But also what I like to say too, is that, cause I get this question a lot too, with the military, the sexual assaults. Right. And so having been a lot of times, the only female in the room, I get that question is like, Oh, how many times have you had to deal with it? And I really haven't had to deal with it. You have people try to hit on me. Sure. But it's also how you carry yourself. If you carry yourself like a victim, guess what? People are going to probably take advantage of that, right? 
But if you walk into a room with confidence and you're assertive and you know, you, you shut people down, if they're coming at you and they're trying to hit on you or whatever, and you tell them no, and you're assertive about it, most people are going to leave you alone, mm-hmm. you know? And I think most people who know me as a female, I like, they know I'm not a victim, right? So most people are, or most men aren't going to come at me trying to like assault me or put me down or anything. And they know, you know, without knowing they're going to get some fire back. Sure. <laughs> so, um, it is, it's how you carry yourself as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I have, I feel like I've got a question in this that I'm going to try and put together <laughs> while I'm thinking about it, but, but the victim mentality, yes. right. How I'm trying to think of how best I want to ask this, but really my question is, is how did you develop the non victim mentality and how would you encourage other women to not have that as well, to have similar experiences to you and the same level of confidence to shut down things that might be inappropriate or potentially dangerous in the same way? Um, I think that that is an element that has always been with me since I was a kid is that I don't take shit. Um, and I grew up, I had an older brother and then I had two older cousins that were boys. I was the youngest of the four of us and we were always around each other. Um, and I wouldn't say I got picked on by them, but they, I definitely grew, you know, I think that's where my, my thicker skin grew, um, throughout my life. And I was pretty, I had a spicy part. I was very nice and timid until I got pushed to that point and the spiciness came out. And so I've always been that way. And so anytime I sensed you know, someone coming, coming at me. And sometimes I like oversense that a little bit and I would like fire back at them maybe unnecessarily, but, um, I was proving that like, Hey, you're not going to walk all over me. You know, you're not going to come at me. And even the guy who, you know, made it a little difficult through my process of getting qualified for SAR, um, I pushed back, you know, it was just like, and I did it in a way though, that was, yeah, I was verbal about it, but I also, um, And I realized too, now looking back, he was, I don't know if he necessarily didn't want me there. I don't know if he was just trying to like get me to grow or like come out of my shell a little bit more, but, um, he would, he, and he, I didn't like his tact because he would kind of embarrass me in in some of our training, like ask me questions. He knew I didn't know the answer to, to sort of like, that was just his way. Right. And I didn't like that. And that's why we kind of butt heads a lot, but what I did instead of, you know, saying it's not fair is I went and I hit the books and I just started studying. And so I was like, okay, next time he freaking asked me a question, I'm going to freaking know this answer. And I'm going to know it more than he does. And I was, you know, my whole thing was like, I'm going to be a better person than him. So <laughs> I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to have more knowledge. Um, so that was sort of, you know, how I approached that. And so then when he, when I started doing that and spending more time, you know, whether it was in the gym or with the books and learning about the aircraft, blah, blah, blah. Um, when he did start asking me questions, I would answer it. And then I would actually fire back a question at him that I knew he didn't know. <laughs> so that's sort of how I dealt with that, you know, and it was just, again, an action thing. And I guess that's my best advice is that if you're, you know, obviously if you are just, if they're just coming at you and, you know, purposefully assaulting you or whatever, that's a whole different story. But like, if you know, you've got these guys that are just trying to like, I don't know, I guess punk you out or whatever, <laughs> then you just come back at them stronger and you have to, you have to work at it. You know, it's not going to be something that it's, it's not going to be easy, but you, you have to work at it. And, and that's part of proving that you belong there, I guess. I don't know if I answered your question. It did. It did. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I'm hearing, um, thick skin 
honestly, of all of it. I think that that was the development of thick skin and perseverance. That was the word I was thinking of. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you made it through SAR and then did you go, did you straight commission out of that? I mean, kind of continuing the story. So I went from that duty station to, um, I wanted to stay in California and the only other duty station for us was rescue summer, the surface rescue summer school in San Diego. Okay. And it was to be an instructor. And again, I wasn't thinking about how difficult it might be. I just wanted to stay in San Diego or in California. Um, so at the time you had to go on the system and look to see what was available. And this was the only thing that was available in California. So I kept putting in for it. And at the time they wanted you to be an E5 and I was only an E4, um, cause it was an instructor position, but nobody was applying for it. And I should have been another clue to me that nobody, you know, why nobody was, cause I was like, it's San Diego. It's an instructor duty. Like this to me would be like the, the dream job. Um, and I kept, it took like four rounds of me applying. They finally, the, the head civilian, cause this was like a, a mixed DC. We had civilians that were like master trainers or whatever. Um, and we had the military people. And so the civilian that was the head of the educational, whatever calls me and was like, oh, well, you seem to be the only person. Put <laughs> so I guess I'll call you and like, you know, kind of do a phone interview and see what you're about and blah, blah, blah. And so I guess he liked what he heard and he, he let me have the, the billet. And so that was my next duty station. I moved to San Diego, um, did the instructor thing. And at the time for the SAR Corpsman, I was there for like safety and medical, but I had the option to go through the, the course as well to get qualified as a rescue swimmer. And then that opened me up to be able to teach more topics and subjects. And so I took that option to go through the school as well. Um, it took me a couple of tries to get through the, the intest and the, you know, to get into the actual course and then finally did it and, um, got qualified as a rescue swimmer as well. So, and then spent four years there and then put a commissioning package in and got picked up for that. So nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so then commissioning turned into nursing, right? Yeah. I mean, how, how did that whole process go? And I imagine we're skipping a lot of life lessons learned too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but we would, I mean, we could talk for days. <laughs> when you said an hour, I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I know. Like, well, hey, yeah. we can always sit down again, you know. Sure, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I put in for the commissioning program. And it was really more, I really liked what I was doing as a SAR Corpsman, but there wasn't much direction career-wise for it. So like to get promoted, we, there, we were just a small community and it was really hard to get promoted. So I was kind of like, not much of a pathway in the military and then out of the military there the only people that do search and rescue that get paid for it are firefighters police and it was like that would be like starting over again so yeah. i was like dude what am i going to do that you know will give me more of a skill and if i do decide to get out at some point i'll have you know something to fall back on and so that sort of led me to nursing i didn't know a whole lot about nursing i just thought like oh that's the natural pathway up um, saw that there was a commissioning program specifically for nursing. And so dropped my package, got accepted, ended up going to school, finishing my degree and, um, commissioned as a nurse and then found out real quickly that I did not like hospital nursing because <laughs> I spent all of my career outside and, you know, in the mountains or in the water or whatever. Now I'm in a hospital at the bedside and I'm like this 
sucks. <laughs> this is great. So the first duty station I had was Balboa hospital and, you know, they start you out on medical surgical floors, which is probably the most boring nursing <laughs> that in my opinion, and I would say most nursing, cause like a lot of nurses, that's where you start and get your, your foundation, but they usually go into a different area, whether it's critical care, ER, whatever. Um, but for the Navy, they wanted you to start there and do at least 18 months to two years on the floor, which I freaking hated it the whole time. But looking back on it now, I'm like, I know why they do that. Like you do build your foundation you do learn how to be a nurse um, on those floors as much as it sucks. And as much as your life sucks during that time, um, it does give you that foundation. So now I'm grateful for it. If you asked me back then, I would have said like, I hated my life. I wanted, <laughs> I, I thought about, and I was at, after that first duty station, it was at 14 years. I thought about like, screw this. I'm done. Cause this is not what I want to do. But after I got through that, ended up going to a critical care area and then started deploying. I deployed to Haiti when the earthquake happened. Yep. Um, I was on a plane days after the earthquake to Haiti. Um, so no real warning there went down there, did three months on a, a ship. We, we augmented a team that was on an amphibious warship, okay. but they have surgical teams as well. So we augmented them and we were bringing in the casualties from the earthquake, did that for three months, came back and then got put on a tasker for Afghanistan with the Marines. Um, that was a total of 10 months. It was nine months in country, a month in Japan, the train. Um, so 10 months total. Um, that was probably the hardest time of my life, but the most rewarding at the same time. Okay. Um, so I was down on the ground with the Marines. We did a, we were a damage control surgical team. So we were getting moved all around Helmand province. We were kind of a small team. And our purpose was we were able to either, you know, find a structure or pop up a tent and be able to do damage control surgery. Okay. So they would kind of place us strategically near areas that they thought were hot spots. And so if they couldn't stabilize the patient long enough to get to the role three, they would bring them to us and we would do, you know, if they couldn't stabilize them through like external means, so tourniquets or, you know, pressure bandages, whatever they would bring them to us. And then we would actually do surgery to stop the bleeding. Okay. And then we would put them on a helicopter. So we weren't fixing them. We were just trying to stabilize them, put them on a helicopter and then send them on to the role three. At the time, the Marine Corps, the military in general, wasn't really thinking far ahead. So yes, we were putting advanced providers farther forward than we mm -hmm. had been. Um, this has been going on in Iraq too. But we put our providers farther forward. We would call in the medevac. The medevac in theater at the time was mostly dust off. There were a couple other, like we had PJs and the Mert team, the British guys, but mostly it was dust off. They would come in and at the time, the paramedics on those birds were not critical care trained. So our patients, now that we had an advanced provider that touched the patient, yeah, our patients would now come out on ventilators. They were getting blood. They were sedated, paralyzed. That is a critical care transfer at that point. Mm -hmm. So this isn't like point of injury where they're, you know, scooping up a guy and then taking them back and doing the best they can. This is now a critical care transfer. Sure. The dust off medics were not trained for that at the time. They are now, but they weren't trained during that time. So they would come in and they'd be like, well, I don't, I don't run vents. I don't do blood or whatever. So what the Marine Corps would do would be like, 
oh, random nurse who's never been trained in this shit. Get You're on flying. the bird, yeah. transfer the patient. And it was like, what are we doing? <laughs> like it was insanity. And all of the nurses who were put in this position have been like, this is so wrong because if you get trained in the civilian sector for this stuff, it's like a six month process to get trained for that. We were just throwing nurses on the back of these birds to transfer by yourself, a critical freaking patient, which would normally be like, if you talk like CCAT teams in the air force, it's a whole freaking team that transfer these patients, doctors, anesthesia, medics, nurses, you're doing this by yourself in the back of a helicopter just, it was just insanity. And I, I volunteered for it because I'm just, again, one of the crazy, I, yeah, I love craziness. Apparently, um, <laughs> my brain is very abnormal. I think I hate when I'm in this situation, but I always volunteer for these situations. If that makes <laughs> sense. Uh, but no, I, I volunteered one because I was like, well, I'm very familiar with helicopters. So I used to be a crewman. Um, yes, I was very new to the critical care part. I didn't run vents at all by myself or had barely even touched a vent at that point in my life. Um, and it sounded, it was one of those things It sounded good when I volunteered, but then <laughs> my first mission, it was at night and it was a guy who I think had, he had one or two legs blown off, did our damage control surgery. And now it's like nighttime and I'm walking. I remember walking out to the bird. And my surgeon passed me on the back. It was like, good luck kid. And I was like, oh my God. It like hit me at that moment. Like, what am I doing? Like, this is absolute insanity. The bird had to come from it. We were on a small combat outpost by Pakistan. So they didn't originate from our, our, our combat outpost. They came from another base. So I had no time to even talk to them and be like, Hey, are you bringing me like comms or anything? Right. So they landed the medic comes running. He's like, come on, let's go. And so we're walking out there and I'm like, I don't even have a chance to like talk to the crew before we like, they never, they never turned the rotor off. Like it just, they were stayed back, spun and forth, up. back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like being a crewman, we always planned, right. Our mission. We talked that out. We talked what, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, this was very foreign to me. Cause I was like, I'm literally getting on the back of a helicopter with this very critical patient and I have no chance to like communicate to the crew. Like what is happening right now? Yeah. And as I'm walking out, I've never kept anybody sedated or paralyzed. And my anesthesiologist is literally giving me a lesson on how to push dose these medication as we're walking out to the, yeah, he's got these <laughs> syringes and he's giving them to me and he's like, okay, this is how much you're going to give every 30 minutes. You know, I was just like, I mean, there was so much going on in my head at that moment that I was like, I don't, what is happening right now? <laughs> so put them on the back of the, the black Hawk. I'm in a squatting position. I actually have pictures of this. Um, not this particular one, but I have where I did more missions. Like Similar. This. Yeah. So I'm in a squatting position. I've got this critical patient on a vent that I'm like, I don't really know how to run this thing. I hope it works the whole time. Um, and I'm push dosing. I've got blood going and I go to the crew and I'm like, I'm thinking they brought me at least a headset so I could communicate with them. And I was like, Hey, headset. And he was like, <laughs> you're on your own <laughs> yeah like, this is awesome and so I'm again just completely overwhelmed and it's dark at this point so I've got a little pen light between my teeth to try to like do my assessment on this guy you know because you want to keep putting your hands on the patient just in case they do start bleeding out you just did surgery to stop their bleeding right yeah. and this guy it was his legs and so yeah, it doesn't mean it's I, over though right at any moment those wounds can open he can start bleeding out there's a lot of things that can go wrong during this moment and this is why you want a team with you 
Um, and so you're constantly like kind of just feeling the guy and especially it's at night. So now I can't see if he's bleeding out. So I have to do it all through feeling and touch. So I've got this little pin light through my, cause they have to be dark. Cause we are still in an enemy area. <laughs> you don't want to light up your helicopter and show it. And at the time, well, I think they still do it, but the, the Blackhawks had big red crosses on their mm-hmm. helicopters, which I thought was like, I thought we did away with this because you know, they love to shoot down these. Yeah. It's a flying target. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, what the heck? Um, so yeah, so you want to stay dark and then again, in the squatting position, trying, I'm just completely, all of this is like, foreign to me um and i remember thinking at one point how what did i do in my life to get to this point yeah no shit <laughs> what is happening right now so um and then i remember too i remember horror stories of the nurses getting left at where the destination that they went to oh yeah it's not part of the crew so they don't they really don't give a shit about you so i wrote on the guy had a little uh, notepad on his leg and so i grabbed this pen and i was like you're gonna take me back right and he was like yeah sure um i was like okay cool so go in with the patient to drop him off. That was a whole nother ordeal. Um, had a whole trauma team waiting for me. I'm thinking like, oh, I could probably just pull the doctor to the side and let him know what's going on. Oh no, this whole like trauma team is like, you're a buttercup. Yeah. Give, give report. And I was just like, I mean, deer in the headlights. <laughs> it was probably the shittiest report. I was just like, uh, he, uh, no legs. Um, still has the heart. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. I was like, people are probably like, what is this idiot? Like this person just flew with patient. Um, and as I'm trying to like, get all this out, you hear the helicopter fly away. And the surgeon was like, was that your ride? And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was. and so now I'm like in the middle, I'm in Hellman. I don't even know what base I'm really on. And I'm like, I don't know how to get back. I have no way to communicate with my team. Like it was just it was craziness. So that was, that was my life for about 10 months. <laughs> That's like chaotic. Oh yeah. It was, it was, yeah, that was so, completely chaos. <laughs> so you said it was the most rewarding part out of, <laughs> out of all of that. Then, I mean, you've probably seen oh, yeah. your fair share of shit yeah. been through it. I mean, to me, that sounds like traumatic enough as it is Oh yeah. <laughs> coming out of it. I mean, what, what did, what did you feel most accomplished about coming out of it and most rewarded by? Um, the fact of that, I like, I didn't die. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got my patients to their, the destinations. What happened to them afterwards? I'm not really sure, but I was like, they're still alive when I dropped them off. Um, I just, you know, just getting through all of that. And that, that was just the tip of the iceberg of what happened during those, those nine months over there. Um, it was just one thing kind of after another of just getting through a lot of this stuff. And so it, you know, during the moment, yeah, it completely sucked. But then afterwards I look back on it and I'm like, wow, I, I made it through all of that. I did things that I didn't think I could do, you know, and again, I wasn't this, like, I'm a very average person. I don't, you know, I don't see myself as like being extraordinary or being able to, to do all those, those things. But the fact that I one volunteered for these positions and then made it through, <laughs> you know, is, is just like, wow, you know, and, and that's where like in my adulthood, I have built more and more confidence in myself. Um, and now like in my forties, I just, I feel the best mentally, physically, everything else. And it, and it really has a lot to do with everything that I got through in my twenties, yeah. thirties. So yeah, now I don't get as stressed as like most people, just because I've been in so many <laughs> various like positions and, you know, moments that I just, you know, a lot of the little things don't 
really bother me anymore. So, um, and when I hear sometimes people complain about certain things, I'm like, you're like, really though? Yeah. And I, and I try to put it in perspective. It's like, that's their perspective. Right. And it's what they've lived in their life experiences. But for me, it's like, this isn't a big deal. Like, it's okay. Yeah. It'll be okay. It'll work out. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more shit that could happen. So yeah, this isn't, that's not a big deal. So yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your Saturday, but, um, I think if we could talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what you're doing now, right. Just as far as, you know, uh, you and I got connected through Ashley with until death collective. I know that on the phone, we were talking about you doing the long range stuff and, uh, you know, kind of encouraging folks to get out there and do that too. Can we talk a little bit about kind of what life looks like now and maybe sit down again and talk about some of the other stuff that you've lived through? Yeah, for sure. Um, so after I retired, it was, you know, that was another, the transitioning thing. That's a whole separate, probably podcast in itself. Um, I, it was rough. You know, a lot of people ask me like, Oh, you know, do you have issues with all the stuff that you've done? I'm like, I don't feel like I do. I feel like when it hit me was when I got out and I was transitioning is when I felt really kind of lost and foggy. Um, and my way to deal with that was to pile as much crap on my plate as I possibly could. And I started, you know, like, I don't know what it was like. I don't know if I thought like, oh, I might die at any moment. <laughs> like, and I don't know if it's like being around like death and all, and, you know, seeing all this shit and like people killing themselves and whatever. I was just like, and cancer, that's a huge thing. Um, I do have a give a shout out to Hunter seven foundation. Cause I work with them a lot, but they do a lot for the like cancers that are developing a lot of the veterans. So like, I think working around that, I'm like, man, this could end at any day. So let me just do everything right now while I still have my health. And I, you know, took up trying to learn skydiving, the long range shooting. Um, I was flying helicopters for a while. And then I realized I'm like, I picked the most expensive hobbies. <laughs> I am not a rich person. So, um, yeah, I was, you know, I finally decided, okay, I need to like start shutting off some of this stuff. And I sort of just landed on the long range shooting for some reason. And so I do like it though. It really fits my personality in the sense that it's, you know, it's a very kind of lone person type of thing, um, which I like, cause I am a, a natural introvert. Um, I like that. It's so technical that a lot of things go into that one shot. I mean, I feel like it's just very rewarding when you do get that shot off and you, and you make the target that you're trying to do. Um, and there's a lot of challenging things to it. Um, it's, it is intimidating to get into at first because there's, there's so much to know just from the foundations of it. And, and that goes from like, what kind of rifle do I even get? And what kind of scope or optics? I mean, there's just so much, and I didn't know any of this and I had to learn it all kind of, you know, through trial and error. So I've probably spent a lot more money than I needed to. Everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And so, and that's where I'm kind of like, and I have a lot of women that reach out and we're like, Oh, I would love to do that. I just don't know how to get into it. And so that's when we sort of formed a lot of the women that I know, um, we're in the same positions as, as I was, where it's like, where do I start? And so now that we sort of, you know, stumbled along and figured it out, we wanted to form kind of this girl gang, whatever you want to call it to help other women get into it. Um, and so that, that's sort of where I think we are, um, with trying to, you know, just, just be more positive with women and, you know, trying to break through some of the barriers of like, being intimidated to get out on the range and just, you know, Hey, just come along, you know, follow along with us or come to some of the events at Chris cook who runs the ranch Julian. Um, she put on a whole women's outdoor 
event and it had, you know, it didn't have shooting, but it had archery, um, which she's great at and, you know, field dressing, she has goats and stuff. And so we, we field dress a goat learning how to pack your backpack. I mean, it was just very like fundamentals for people of all experiences. And it was a huge success. And it kind of told us that there is definitely a market for women out there who want to try all these things, but just don't know how to get started. So yeah. we're trying to sort of lead that, you know, and I know there are other women that are doing it. Um, you mentioned, um, uh, Tara. Now. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, who has been, and it's just, I think getting that more out there that there are women that, you know, in different communities that are trying to, to push that along. Um, and maybe all of us getting together and like, Hey, let's, instead of us trying to reinvent the wheel, like, how about we all, you know, whatever people have been working on get together and like, try to just form a bigger female community to, to help out other women to get involved in this stuff. So, yeah. um, So is there like a, and I, and I know the answer, but I'll ask just for folks, but is there like a formal organization or group of folks, like a, a place that a female could go drop into and be like, this is home or, or is it individuals at this point? Um, it's kind of individuals. I would say right now, like, so if you look at the ranch, Julian, um, she has a lot of events throughout the year. It's not always just women, but it's still such a great environment, whether there it's a male female event that if you're brand new, you're still very welcomed. Like I've never heard anyone saying that they didn't feel welcome there. Um, whether it be the all women's event or the, the co-ed events. So that's always a great place. If you can get to California, Southern California, that's always great events to go to. Plus she has such a good network that there, you meet all these other people that are, you know, similar interests that you can network with and then kind of grow and expand from there, which is what this kind of core group of women that we've sort of started, that's how we all sort of met to begin with. So, um, we've got that. And then I'm doing the scout arms is doing the long range female course in August in a couple of weeks in Montana. Um, the first course that we did, it was his first initial course. It was all male. And then there were two of us females. Then we started talking about, you know, there's other women that wanted to get involved, but they felt kind of intimidated with, with males being around. So he was like, what do you think about doing an all female? And I was like, that would be, I think it would be great. I think it would be, you know, a hit. So that's what we're doing in August. And we'll see how the turnout is there to see if, you know, that's an interest where, you know, more courses can be offered throughout the year for that. So yeah, um, is that course, uh, can they, is that still open registration? It's still open right now. Yes. Um, it's August 5th. It's the first weekend of August. Um, yes, it's still open. And that one is going to be, it's run the instructors are from Achilles tactical. Oh yeah. Rick. Um, yes. Yes. And they are going to, it's a foundation for long range shooting with a focus on, um, hunting and the ethics of hunting. So shooting long range with hunting is different than shooting long range with competition, right? Yep. So with competition, you're not really worried about like, Oh, if I miss, like, I'm going to injure an animal and it's not going to, it's going to be bad. Right. So ethically you want to be able to, you know, shoot an animal and, and be able to put it down right away. Yeah. And accuracy. (laughs) It's a kill shot. You're looking for an ethical kill shot. Yep. Yeah. So you're not, it's where PRS competitions are more like timed and like, you know, did I hit it or I miss it? Yeah. If you (laughs) miss it, it's like, okay, I, I hit dirt. Right. You're not injuring anybody, um, or anything, but this is more of the, it's a foundation course 
for long range shooting. So it teaches you all the fundamentals of long range shooting, but the focus is on hunting with long okay. range. So, so yeah. you'll be at that one scout arms, yes. uh, and then Achilles heel. Right. So yes, that's going to be fun. That's a lot of really cool people up there. Yes. So the first course that we did was a last month or a couple months ago, that same, same group, um, same instructors. And it was just, it was phenomenal. And everybody who came and I wish like some of the females would have just done it because there were only two of us. It was me and doc Pate, Kate Pate, who, um, I, I, I know the name. Yeah. You should have her on your, your, <laughs> <laughs> she's an amazing human being. And she's a, a freaking, um, neurophysicist PhD. I mean, I don't know. She's her brain's like, nice. Like, okay. Yeah. She, and she's just an awesome person. Um, but it was just her and I, and I had a little bit of experience in long range shooting coming up to it. I think this was sort of her, like she's shot before, but not really long range. And, you know, the guys that were in the course were all pretty experienced, um, whether, you know, it was military background or just hunting, whatever. And they were all so freaking welcoming to us. Like what I learned with the long range community is that they're very, the guys that are in it are just so encouraging and supportive. Like I've, I've never encountered a male that has just been like an asshole to me at all ever. Yep. Yep. Um, I kind of have in other shooting environments, like pistol carving, that type of thing, but in long range shooting, it's been all very, very nice people who have tried to, you know, give you tips and hints. Like I did a, the vortex sniper challenge, which is, there was a lot of good shooters there. And I was, there was only three females out of 120 of us. And I was definitely like, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> I thought you know, there was a lot of like the tier one dudes. And I was for sure, like, they're going to make fun of me or like, this is just bad. And they were the most supportive, helped me out every stage. They were giving me tips and hints and like, yeah, I, I never felt, you know, unwelcomed at any point. So it was, it was a good experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love long range shooting. I've done, I've done it for a while and I've competed twice so far, twice, two or three times this year, just environment matches. And it's just, it's just so satisfying, you know, it's fun. Kind of like what you're talking about, like making sure you get a shot off and like actually making, you know, that connection. You're like, that's fucking yeah. cool. Like I feel yeah. good about that, you know? <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, one of my favorite questions kind of towards the end, as, as we talked about a lot, knowing that there's the transition and probably a ton of other life lessons, but one of my favorite super loaded, difficult questions is throughout all of this, what were some of the things that you have learned that you wish either you would have known going into it or would like to share with others, maybe trying to follow you in some way or in a similar situation that you have been in throughout your life that you're like, man, this is helpful to share or no. I think the biggest thing, and I try to, if you follow me on Instagram, what I've sort of kind of try to put out there is I'm 45 years old. I am an average person. If I'm doing these things, anybody, I swear to God, anybody can do this. So when I, if you want to do something, just try it. Like there are so many people out there that want to help you, you know, like the skydiving thing, which that can be intimidating as well. Yeah. You know, people are like, how did you start in that? Well, I called up the skydiving place and asked them how do you start? And like, and people will tell you like, they'll, you know, they're not going to come looking for you to be like, Hey, you need to start doing this. Like you have to actually make that first step. But once you do, people will help you. So with skydiving, you know, you find an instructor and, and they'll teach you same with shooting. If you want to get involved with shooting, find you know, 
it's easy to find instructors that have a good reputation, especially if you start following like certain people on social media or whatever, you'll, you'll find who are the respectable teachers. Cause that's, that's a big thing too. You want to find somebody who knows what they're doing with it. Um, but you find those instructors and you take a lesson or you sign up for one of their courses or, you know, with the long range stuff, that's what I did. Uh, Max ordinate, um, Academy out here. Somebody suggested, cause I was like, Hey, how do I get into this? I kind of put it out there on social media and somebody said max ordinate in my area. So, you know, looked him up, signed up for a course and that's how that got started. So, um, just, just do it. Don't talk about it. There's so many people that just talk about, Oh, I want to do this and I want to do that, but they never get up and do it. And it's like, if you're going to talk about it, just do it. And that's, that's the only difference with me. Like all the stuff that I do, it's because I gotten a crazy idea in my head. And then I figured out, oh, okay, how do I do this? And there's instruction for everything these days. And especially having the internet at your hands, you can find <laughs> anything. So if you want to learn how to sail, look up sailing instruction, you know, and, and really like know that you're not committed if you try it. Right. right? So I think people are like, oh, if I, if I do this and I have to like go all the way, no, you don't, you go take a lesson, do an intro if you don't like it, then move on your way. If you do yeah. like it, then you'll figure out the next steps for that. Right. So, but you're not same with the helicopter stuff. I want to learn how to fly a helicopter. That sounds a little outrageous, but it really isn't. I looked up the local airport. They do instruction, did an intro. They, everybody has an intro course because these are big commitments, right? So right. nobody wants you to just like put down thousands of dollars right away. You go do an intro course, which I did an intro freaking They put me in a helicopter got on the stick a little bit. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. So then you figure out the next step and they will walk you through it all. So that's, that is the biggest thing is like, don't, what are you waiting for? <laughs> you know, like you're gonna be 70 still saying, Oh, I want to do this or whatever. And it's like, you know, at some point, yes, your health is going to decline. You might not be able to do yeah, all at some point you can. <laughs> yeah. So if it's, if it's an idea in your head, then get off the couch and freaking do it. It's easy as that. I think it's funny that you just called up the airport to go do helicopter lessons. Like now I'm thinking about that. I mean, I don't, (laughs) I don't know if I have the time or the money right now to go do it, but you know what? That sounds like it'd be fun. So here's the thing. You just said, I don't know if I have the time or the money, but you have the time and probably the money to do one, one lesson. Yeah, right. Exactly. So go do that. And that's the thing. Cause you, people get in their head and they're like, Oh, the money, they start doing the money thing in their head and they start thinking like whatever. And it's like, you know what I did? I did helicopter lessons are very expensive. It's like three fifty an hour. So what I did was every two weeks when I got paid, instead of buying my Starbucks every day, I saved that three fifty. did an hour lesson, which my instructor was like, you know, you got to like come out here more. Right now, you know, and learning how to do all this stuff. And, um, yeah, I just went and just did it. And I, you know, for me, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go fly helicopters for a second career. I was like, I just genuinely am interested in learning how to fly a helicopter. So, I think that's I, so fun. That's so random. Like I just, I just pulled it up and I'm like, Oh, there's, there's places down the road. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Actually that's over by gallon field. That's funny. Yeah. Any, okay, I'm I telling you, any town, like it, it, and they're mostly small airports. Everybody usually, unless you're like way out in the boonies, there's usually places or, you know, for something like that or fixed wing or, um, just skydiving, whatever it is, you know, skydiving, go sign up for a tandem jump. You don't have to do anything but be attached to the person and enjoy the ride, which is fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I actually I've love tandem because I don't have to, like, after I got qualified, I'm like, God, there's so much work. I don't even get to enjoy the ride down because I'm have, like looking at my altimeter. I'm like making sure all my shit's good. Tandem. You just like, I'm just attached and I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> get to look at the scenery. So I'm always like, 
even if you don't want to like learn how to skydive, you should always, I think everyone should go tandem because one, it also puts it like when they say live in the moment, that is truly living in the moment. Cause there's only 100%. one thing that matters at that point. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's so true. Matter. I went skydiving three years ago and I, I loved it. Like it yeah. was the most amazing thing. And it's funny cause they don't, they don't give you time to think. Yeah. It's literally um, like you're out yeah. and like, okay. Yeah, you have to be. You have to be because. Well, I just got the chills thinking about it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when you landed, wasn't that the most exhilarating feeling? Like, oh it was yeah. Just, I a lot of times when my brains kind of scramble and I'm sort of getting in my head with stuff, I will go, you know, either do my own jump if I'm current, or I'll just sign up for a tandem. And I, it's just like it just refocuses me because it's just one of those things where. You know, I put things into perspective. (laughs) Yeah, it does. You know, like I kind of just defied death. And so, Hey, I'm good. That little shit that I was just worried about, not a big deal anymore. So yeah, you know, that's, I guess I'm sort of chasing after like the adrenaline stuff. No, I dig it. um, No, it really, like, I always walk away or drive away from the, the drop zones, just feeling amazing. So it's, yeah, I think everyone should at least try it once. But, and, and this is coming from someone who's terrified of heights. Cause I always hear that. Like I'm scared of high. So am I, I'm terrified of high, like to the point standing on a second story balcony. I don't like to get near the freaking rail. Like that's how bad it yeah. is. For me. But, it's funny. Cause like, I feel like when you're skydiving, it's almost a little different, right? Because there's like, there's like no point of reference for like yes. what's actually below you. Yeah. And it's, and it's weird. Cause like from memory when I jumped the first time it feels like you know when you jump into a bed and you hit the bed like it just that's the feeling right is like is being in the bed and that's it you know and then you're just kind of like it's like if you ever um put your head out with the window of a car like kind of rushing your face that's all it really feels like like Mm -hmm. you don't have this sense of dropping it's just like you're sort of you just have air kind of rushing your face you know or if you ever rode a motorcycle it's like that kind of same feeling um but yeah, you don't have, it's not this like, oh my God, I'm falling the whole time. The only time you get a little bit of a drop is when you first exit the airplane, you yep. get a little bit of that, like, oh, I'm falling. But then as soon as you, you stabilize, it's, you don't have, you don't feel like you're falling at all. So, um, and it's just amazing. Like, I don't know anyone who's, who's done a tandem or anything else. who's like, oh, that was, that sucks. You know, like everyone usually walks away with a huge smile <laughs> on their face and, you know, like, oh my God, that was so awesome. So um, yeah. And even me, I was terrified my first tandem. I was, and the only reason why I did it is because one of my guys wanted me to re-enlist him and he wanted to, cause usually when they want, they ask you to re which is an honor for someone to ask you to re-enlist them. And they usually get to pick what they want to do. And he was like, <laughs> I want to do it skydiving. I was like, you're like, you asshole else in the world yourself. that you want to do because at this moment, cause I swore to myself, I would never jump out of a plane. And he's like, nope, that's what I want to do. And it was like, it's one of those, I got honored. So went and did it. And I was terrified the write up. I was like, this is the dumbest thing. I mean, the conversation in my head was just like, what are you freaking doing? Um, we actually had it on film where I was, you know, that helped because I was like, took my mind off. (laughs) 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 But then we get to the the door and, um, the guy might, I had knee problems at the point because usually you squat down and the guy's behind you and you just, you roll out. I couldn't squat. So I had to, he had to kind of sit on his butt and scoot us out. And since he was sitting at the edge, I was sort of just dangling outside of the plane. And I remember like, what the F are you doing? Like, this is the (laughs) dumbest thing you've ever done in your life. After all the shit that I've done, like, this is the dumbest thing. And then he pushed us out and it was just like, 
here we go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, immediately I was like, this is the best thing ever. So yeah, it was, it was one of those things where I landed. I'm like, let's go again. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'll back in. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. So, man, maybe, um, oh, I need to do that again. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. this summer I'll go do it. it maybe, really maybe that's cool. what I'll do for my birthday. I'll go jump out of another airplane. I will. Shit, I'll go up there and do it with you. Or let's come do it. Yeah. Do it. I, know. Like, <laughs> I turn, I turn 30 in three weeks. There you go. Let's, let's go. God, yeah. Okay. Um, well, is there anything else for today? Um, I really would like to sit down and talk again, but I also yeah. know that it's it's funny because the more I record, the more I learn that some people after between 45 minutes and an hour, people are like fried. So like, I don't, I don't like to push it too much. So yeah. is there anything else that you're like today, this is something I want to make sure gets out there? Um, no, I just, again, I think the takeaway is, is if you, if you have something that pops in your head that you want to do, then just go do it. You know, and if, if you really don't know how to get started, then I am always open, you know, you can message me and whatever, and we'll like, we'll figure it out and how to get you started on whatever it is. But I'm just a firm believer, you know, you get one shot at this life. So I can live, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> I'm with that. Yeah. I'm learning yeah. that now where it's like, just fucking go get after it. I mean, be scared yeah. for the one hour it takes to figure it out and then yeah. roll with it. So, you know, and they're like, well, the other thing too, people try to save their mind. Like, what are you saving it for? You're not going to take that to your grave. So yep. if you have the money and you have your health, go do all this shit, you know? Yeah. Of course be responsible, save for your house and your family and all that, whatever. But like, I don't need to be rich because all my extra money I am going and living and I have stories to tell and, you know, my kids see me and I feel like I have a couple girls and I, you know, they're confident, they're doing stuff. That's super cool. They're doing stuff now that I never would have thought about doing when I was younger, but I feel like they're seeing what I'm doing. And, and my thing is like, anything's possible for anyone. And so, you know, they're, they're going and living life and they're starting early, which is awesome. So yeah. Yeah, let's go live. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Nikki. I appreciate you taking the time. I know that we started Saturday and took quite a bit of time. So thank you. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Nikki, once again, thanks for taking the time to uh, share your story with me. I hope to connect at some point in the future to uh, continue this conversation and uh, hopefully get some more good information out to, uh, to uh, whomever is listening. And I hope to uh, whomever may be listening that you took something away from this to apply to your daily life, maybe some of the struggles that you might be facing or uh, thinking about things in a, in a slightly different way. But otherwise, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Please like, rate, and subscribe to the show, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.